Well, amen. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, so uh, however you prefer, you can be turning there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, we recommend you version. You should have one because you can have the Word of God at your fingertips and uh, even find plans that will help it make sense. And so uh, if you have any questions about that, uh, check out version in your app store. Uh, if you were with us last week, you will remember uh, we looked at the second of two prayers and four requests that Paul had for the Ephesian believers. The first request was for strength. Uh, specifically through the Holy Spirit to the soul. Because we all know how capable we are of looking to ourselves in plenty of other places for strength and ability. But Paul knew the battle that these believers were in, trying to further the light of the gospel against the pagan culture of Ephesus, their own strength would not overcome. And if it sounds familiar, it should, because it's the same for us. In the pagan culture that we live in, right here in America, in Potosi, our strength will not be enough to overcome the darkness. When we rely on our own strength, we end up spiritually starving, discontent, and empty, not to mention defeated. And so we need spiritual strength that comes only through the Holy Spirit to the soul. And we saw last week that God gives that strength in proportion to the greatness of his glory, which we cannot even fathom or measure. So the request was for strength and depth. And so the the actual request for depth there is that Jesus would be at home in our hearts. And so that means going deeper, deeper in our commitment to him. Our our spiritual roots going further and further down, making us stronger and stronger in Him. Establishing Jesus as our foundation. And we know that we do that through the Word, through prayer, through obedience, through intentionality. I think the word of the week here is intentionality. How intentional have you been uh, with your faith this week? So we saw strength, depth, and that we would get a grip. A mental grip, a spiritual grip on the love of Christ. Make it your own because when we do, we saw that we can know the unknowable. Uh, We saw in chapter 3, his love is wide and, and deep and long and tall, but there are dimensions to his love that can't be measured. But we can know those when we get a grip on the gospel and intentionally make Jesus our foundation and make him the measurement to which we strive for. This strength and depth and grip are filling through Jesus, who is the standard. We can be filled to the fullness of God, verse verse 19 in chapter 3 says, where we are satisfied and content and able to rest, just like we, we sang that last song, in Christ. Now, the second word of chapter 4 is the hinge between the first half of the book and the last half. You will notice it says, I therefore... Uh, Therefore refers to everything we've seen in these first uh, six weeks or so. The riches that we have in Christ. The spiritual sight that we have. The knowledge of God. Who we are in Christ compared to who we were without Him. Uh, The unity that Jesus brought. Reconciling wretched sinner and holy God. And the unity that He brings with us here at the church. Because of all this truth. Here's the difference making God, uh, excuse me, knowing God makes in our lives. 
or in other words, because of all this wealth, here's how we're called to walk. And if you're able to, to stand out of respect for the Word of God, please do, as we, as we read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its, its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So as you, if you're looking at your outline, you see we have a lot to go through. Um, but uh, hopefully you'll, you'll see that, uh, as always, the word of God is, is rich and it is deep. Number one on your outline there, uh, it speaks of the grace of unity. The grace of unity. And it's summed up in, in one word. Walk, our walk. Walking in Christ will be a theme throughout the remaining chapters here in Ephesians. Uh, you may notice some of the headings if you look, look ahead. Uh, God's Word will call believers to walk in unity, to walk in purity, to walk in harmony, and to walk in victory here in Ephesians. And one thing that we see in the, in the form of this and with, uh, with uh, Paul's other writings, the next blanks on your outline, it matters what you believe. It matters what you believe. The word doctrine is what we use to describe what we believe and why we believe it. And different churches, different denominations have different doctrines. It matters what we believe because what we believe determines how we walk. You can write that down. What we believe determines how we walk. For example... If we truly believe what we've seen here in Ephesians, the riches that we have in Christ... Well, then we won't get so caught up in the riches of this world. Because like we saw uh, in the beginning chapters, we are the wealthiest people on the planet as God's people. And so no matter what our bank account balances are, uh, the riches that we have in Christ far outweigh any earthly riches. If we truly believe that we were dead, like we've seen in chapter 2, 
uh, because of our actions, because of our condition, because of our ethnicity, we were separated from the holy God. If we truly believe but God, then this whole this life takes on a completely different meaning. Another example, if we truly believe that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, then we won't live in fear of losing our salvation. We won't become legalistic and try to keep a bunch of rules to gain favor with God. We will live in the freedom that we have in Christ, and we will want to tell others about Him. It matters what we believe because what we believe determines the way we walk. And here we are called to walk in unity. We've seen this theme throughout there in chapter 2. Jew and Gentile, now part of God's people in the church. We must guard that unity. And unity is, is not uniformity. Unity is internal. It's spiritual. Uniformity is, is forced. We don't all look the same on the outside. But just like the parts of the body, we come together as one. And in order to preserve this unity, there are some Christian graces necessary in each of our lives. Look again at verse 1. See if you can see some of these graces. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you can write these down as we just kind of uh, take a deeper look at some of these, these words here in, in this chapter. The first one is lowliness, or we'll say humility. Humility. It's, it's been said like this. Humility is the grace that when you know you have it, you have lost it. Humility is putting Jesus first, others next, myself last. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Don't, take too, don't think too highly of ourselves. Think soberly. It means to think clear-mindedly. And that means having a clear view of God and who we are in light of who he is. See, humility is the opposite of pride because pride destroys unity. The second one is gentleness. You can write that down. Sometimes translated as meekness. It is power under control. And we know that our, our Lord Jesus was a great example of meekness and gentleness. The Greek word used here is, is very interesting. It can describe a soothing medicine, a cult that has been broken, and a soft wind. Now think about those. A soothing medicine, a cult that has been broken, and a soft wind. All three examples of power under control. Gentleness builds unity. Yes, someone could force their opinions and desires on others, but that doesn't build unity. Notice verse 2 again. With all lowliness, gentleness, and with long-suffering. That's the next blank. The third grace here. Long-suffering. And I just got to be honest. Uh, there is a part of me that really doesn't want to have anything to do, nothing in my life that includes the word suffering. But here it is. Um, it's, it's patience. I feel the same way about patience many times. But this one goes right along with the fourth one. 
It's bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. The word used here means to, to hold up, to sustain, to endure. And, and these two, long-suffering and bearing with each other, they go hand in hand. As, as brothers and sisters in Christ, unified in the church, we need both. Because they speak of an ability to endure discomfort without just fighting back. You've probably experienced it, just like I have. Uh, in, in ministry and, and, and in life. Some of the most difficult times are when I needed to hold my tongue. I had so much that I could have said, but the Lord was calling me to hold my tongue, to bear with somebody, to be patient. These two qualities say, you know, even though I don't agree with you, I'm going to love you through this. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because I hope that's what you would give me. This demonstrates the patience and kindness of love spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13. Love brings unity, and as we'll see in a moment, that love needs to be coupled with truth. But a church unified under the love and truth of Jesus will be quite effective in her ministries. Don't we want to be effective? So we have humility, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Again, uh, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. And notice that word endeavoring there. It means to exert one's self. And so this tells us, uh, the next blanks on your outline, unity is work. Unity is work. I mean, you think about it in a, in a marriage. We cannot neglect a marriage and expect it to stay intact. No, we have to be intentional. Again, there's that word of the day. Intentional about working on, on, on unity and working on all these other graces that we've listed within the church. Endeavoring here is a present participle, which means that it's ongoing. It's not just one and done. We have to keep endeavoring to keep the unity every day. Because we know just as soon as we think we have arrived at unity, the enemy's going to come and attack in a new and different way that we did not actually see coming. So verse 3 again, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Many of these graces that we've seen here are listed in the, in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And, and honestly, peace has always been my favorite. You know, of all the fruit of the Spirit, peace has always been my favorite. Uh, Romans twelve eighteen. if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, the opposite of peace is chaos or war. And there is nothing more opposite of unity than chaos or war. And when people outside the church see chaos within the church, they don't want to have anything to do with that church or the Jesus they claim to know. But when the bond of peace rules our hearts, that's when unity is built. So walk in unity. We have all these doctrines in the first three chapters. What we believe matters. Well, here they are summed up in three verses. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. That leads to number two on your outline. 
the common ground of unity. Summed up in the word one. Summed up in one. The common ground of unity. So here we see seven different spiritual realities that unite the church. So let's just walk through them. There is one body. That is the body of Christ. It's the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and following. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Ephesians continues. There is one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit that indwells each of us. That's how God can bring a body of believers to the same decision, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The next is there is one hope, one hope of your calling. We saw it in chapter 2. There are a lot of callings that offer no hope. But the hope that we have in ours is founded in the God of hope, our living hope, and he will not fail. You and I have hope. That one day we will see Jesus face to face and experience abundant life with him for all eternity. The glory of which will make all the hardships that, that come in this life completely and absolutely minuscule in comparison. And that's something that we share with all believers. There is one Lord, the next blank on your outline. Now that's Jesus. See, if we claim to serve one Lord, then we should be able to walk together in unity. The, uh, the Hindu spiritual leader Gandhi was once asked what the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India would be. And he simply replied, Christians. Think about that. What is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? He replied, Christians. The greatest hindrance to Christianity in Potosi, Missouri. Oh Lord, let it not be the people of First Baptist Church. Next blank on your outline. One faith. One faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen, Hebrews tells us. This one faith is trust. In the depths of our hearts, not just in our heads, that yes, I am a sinner just like God's word says I am, and I need a Savior. This one faith trusts that Jesus is who he says he is, the one and only Son of God who can save me from my sins. This one faith invites him to be the Lord of our lives, surrenders to his lordship in our lives. So, my question for you is do you have that? kind of faith next one is there is one baptism there is one baptism the biblical example of baptism is after salvation after faith symbolizing the death burial and resurrection of jesus and the the death and burial of the old you and the new you raising to walk in newness of life this is why we practice full immersion it's it's a public declaration of a changed life and a desire to follow him fully. So we have one body, that's the church. One spirit, the Holy, Holy Spirit. One hope of our calling, one Lord, that's Jesus. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father. The same Father 
that has adopted us into his family. The same Father that has grafted us into his chosen tree. Because we are part of the same family, we can walk in unity. These are things that that unify us in Christ. Now from here, God's word speaks of how Christians are diversified in Christ. Number three on your outline, the gifts of of unity. The gifts of unity. Now notice uh, verse 8 there. Anytime you see a passage indented, um, like it is in many, uh, probably many of your translations there, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Now, now here, it's quoting Psalm 68, 18. And in context there, it's speaking of the victory of God. And in context here in Ephesians, it's speaking of the gifts of the Spirit. And so if we combine them, we see uh, these are, there are benefits that we have of being in Christ and experiencing His victory. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. For he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So this is Jesus. Uh, Verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now, I believe that, that the Lord gives every believer at least one spiritual gift used to build up the body of Christ, the church. And spiritual gifts, they differ from natural abilities because uh, someone may lack in the natural ability, but when God gives a spiritual gift, the, the playing field is leveled because it doesn't depend on the person, it depends on God and His, His Spirit. This is why being a part of a church is so important. God gives us each a tool to build with. And we, and we see that when one worker is gone, the job doesn't get done like it should. Paul, in God's word, gave three, gift, three lists of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and, and here in Ephesians 4. These lists are, are not identical. But they, t- they show us that these gifts, they, they help the body of Christ function like it should. So let's just look at these, these lists, the list here. It starts with apostles. Apostles. These are the original 12 followers of Jesus. They saw him die. They saw him rise again. They saw him ascend. Their job started the spread of the gospel. They were foundational in the start of the church. Their message continued to us, and it will continue after us. The church will worship Jesus for all eternity because of the message of the gospel that these apostles spread. The next one is prophets. And the word used here has has a very deep meaning. New Testament prophets were those that proclaimed the word of God. The early Christians, they didn't have the Bible like we do. They couldn't open it and search. And so uh, this role was very important to communicate God's word. I think it's probably different nowadays than, than one who proclaims God's word. Those would fit into one of the other ones left on the list. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the next one is evangelists. They are bearers of good news. They built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets by winning souls with the gospel. 
If you've ever known anyone with the gift of evangelism, it seems like God's Word just penetrates hearts on a different level when they speak, either in a large group setting or in a small group setting. But I will say this, uh, even though you may not have the gift of evangelism, it doesn't mean you're off the hook with sharing your faith, because the Lord calls each one of us to go and make disciples. The next one is pastor. It's, the word there is, is shepherd. Equipped with the Word of God, a pastor's job is to equip the saints through the Word. And aren't we thankful for the last one on the list there, teachers, teachers. Think about how blessed we are here at First Baptist to have the teachers that we have. I mean, we, we really are. Think about where we would be without them. I just want to encourage you uh, this week, think about uh, a teacher who has made a difference in your life uh, as far as the things of God go. And just, just thank them for all the work that they have, have put in over the years. Because it, th- there's a definite weight that comes with preparing a lesson week after week after week. And often we take the stability of that, the consistency of that, for granted when it comes to those who teach us. And and a little bit of encouragement, it goes a long way. Thank your teacher. Thank God for putting them in your life. We see the Spirit of God at work each and every week right here in this body of believers. The grace of unity, the common ground of unity, the gifts for unity, and number four, the growth of unity. The growth of unity. God has gifted leaders and given them to his churches. Verse 15, excuse me, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So my job as as your pastor is, is through God's word to equip you to do the ministry building up of this body of believers. We are united as this church family until we come together with the church as a whole one day in eternity. Now consider for a moment how God has used this church in your life. I have grown more spiritually here than anywhere else in my adult life. And I am thankful I'm grateful for this church family. Are you growing in Christ? Do you need to plug in more and go deeper in order to do that? Because in this Christian life, growth brings stability. You can write that down. Growth brings stability. That's not always the case in life, but it is in our Christian walks. We grow together in the unity of Christ, so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, 
and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We don't take in a steady diet of the Word of God. We will fall for anything. Satan is just waiting for a crack of doubt in our foundation so that he can, can sneak in and sow more seeds of doubt in our minds. And so we must stick to the Word of God. If I ever start preaching something contrary to the Word of God, then I don't need to be here, standing right here. That's the truth. You have to stick with the truth. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we look further down, that's, that's knowledge of the Word of God. It brings growth. It brings stability. It brings unity. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow into all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. As we go into uh, just a time of, of reflection and invitation, would you bow your heads and, cl- and close your eyes? The invitation looks a, a little bit different in that we are going to participate in the Lord's Supper here. But as you pray, Think through some of these things that we've talked about here today. The growth of unity. Are you growing in your faith? The gifts of unity. What gift has God given you? Are you using it for His glory to build up this body of believers? Who has God put in your life? What teachers has God put in your life? that You just need to to reach out and, and, and thank, encourage them. Because uh, there is a, a definite weight that comes with teaching the Word of God. Where do you, where do you fall in this, in this whole unity thing? Are you, are you divided? Is your heart divided? What has God said to you through His Word? What are you going to do about it? Verses 23 through 32. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So three things that that stand out to me here um, as far as as we go into observing this ordinance. Uh, First is discerning the Lord's body right there in verse 29. And it, it literally means to make a distinction with Jesus. You have to know him through faith. In order to participate here today. Just like we talked about already. Faith that says I am a sinner in need of a savior. 
And I trust that Jesus is who that, that Savior that I need. The second thing is in verse 26 there. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So think about that, proclaiming the Lord's death. When we proclaim his death, we proclaim his resurrection. When we proclaim his death, we proclaim his sacrifice and his, his worthiness. We proclaim his righteousness. We proclaim how grateful we are for all that he's done. Think about that for a moment. Give me some more answers. What else do we proclaim when we proclaim his death? Just go ahead and shout them out. Comes to mind. 